Do not take advice from someone you wouldn't trade places with or you don't admire in the space. This was my biggest mistake growing up and also when I was in corporate America. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. I want to introduce to you Ash Patel. He's a full-time commercial real estate investor. He's going to be doing the interview today and a lot of them moving forward. I'm still going to be doing interviews, just not as many. And he is going to ask tough questions while still building rapport. That way it's not awkward. He's a good friend of mine. Join me in welcoming Ash Patel. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Jonathan Farber. Jonathan is joining us from Plainview, New York. He's a full-time real estate investor, podcast host, podcast course creator, and real estate mastermind coach. Jonathan has seven years of real estate investing experience and owns a variety of properties. Jonathan, thank you for joining us, and how are you today? I'm doing well. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? For sure. Like you mentioned, I am based in Plainview, New York at the moment. That's where I grew up. And I, as a kid, wasn't all that ambitious. I was sort of just working on different things, coming up, different projects, but kind of just whatever piqued my interest. I got into golf when I was in my high school years and ended up meeting a lot of people through that. It kind of exposed me to business or real estate, things like that. Ended up playing golf in college and still thought that's what I was going to be doing when I came out of college, try to pursue professional golf or maybe be club pro, something like that. But ended up finding a mentor who was actually in the software industry. And that's what took me down from Long Island to North Carolina. Just kind of a funny thing. He was the president of the company. I didn't really know at the time. It was like a 12 or 13,000 person company, but I just cold called him and basically kind of pitched myself to him. And he was able to kind of give me a nudge into getting into business and kind of get my head on straight. I was not really that focused at the time, but in doing that, moved down to North Carolina, started with some beginner real estate investing strategies. I was ambitious, but then at the time realized I just kind of wanted to figure out a path to financial freedom, financial abundance to figure out if there's a way that I could kind of offset or subsidize some of the income I was making and then kind of more have the choice to work instead of just being forced to work. And that's when I got started with house hacking, which some of your listeners may or may not know, but you buy something, you live in one portion of it, rent out the other parts. Just did that for a couple of years. And then also on the side as I was still in corporate started buying other rentals or experimenting with other kind of real estate entrepreneurship strategies, wholesaling, Airbnb, got really big into systems and virtual assistants. That kind of became fun for me to just experiment with and see where we kind of design process and plug them in and remove ourselves and still love doing that to this day. And and we try to document all of our processes and if we're going to stand up a property or anything like that. But anyway, where it kind of scaled into was this year was able to hit stage one or two financial freedom left my corporate job and now have been focusing on scaling a furnished rental business and also standing up a wholesale business along with now doing some training on how we do a daily podcast with virtual assistants and kind of help with the backend stuff. And then also for what we do and kind of just some accountability and helping beginners get started. But that's the long and short of it. Okay. That's a lot like me. You lacked ambition, but now you're finding ways to not work using VAs and systems, and you want to achieve financial freedom, which is a great recipe. Awesome. All right. So you mentioned a lot of different asset types. Let's dive into those. What all are you investing in right now? 
So at the beginning, it was just scaling kind of a single family and small multi-portfolio, ones, twos, fours, stuff like that. And for me, it was really just on the path. I was not thinking about a cash flow number. In my head, I had an idea of what it costs to live every month, which, you know, was modest, two or 3,000. I was just starting and 22 years old. And then I thought more around strategies to get to that. So I was looking at multifamily, actually hardcore as I thought I could be around the time COVID hit. Actually, it's pretty funny. I was not sure what to do or steps to take. And I moved actually from New York to Kentucky when everything turned virtual for COVID. I didn't tell my job. They thought I was still in New York. And I just started prospecting for multifamily. I actually read Joe's book, which is still probably my favorite real estate book. And actually, I reached out to Joe. It's pretty funny. That's how we first connected. I made a video just telling him all the things that I was happy to maybe do for his business cut his grass, do social media, whatever. And he was cool and got back to me. But I was really just hunting for multifamily. At the time, then I realized I made some more syndicator friends and just learn more about the business that it's an amazing way to get wealthy. But I was looking to do something to get out of my job, replace my income as fast as possible. I was wondering what the strategies would be. So for me, then I started looking more at wholesaling and furnished rentals, some long-term stay, some short-term stay, like Airbnb stuff. And then just in the last year, acquired four properties on my own, single family homes in either vacation markets or markets that I thought we had enough transactions to do business stays or students, furnished housing nightly or monthly. And then I just did another property with a partner where we kind of set it up that he got the debt in his name because I was out of my job. And then I kind of set up the operation. So right now, the main asset class of rentals I'm focusing on is furnished rentals, not necessarily nightly Airbnb all the time, but we do have some of them are in destination places, mountains, beaches, golf courses. And then the other part of the portfolio is single family properties and one four unit in Raleigh, North Carolina, where we're appealing to nurses and professors and people between their homes, that sort of stuff. And then just set up systems behind that. So right now, nine units total, and most of it is being converted to furnished rentals where Just for me, again, I had the old model in my head of how many single family doors or doors do I need at two or 300 a month to get to my financial freedom number. But by learning more about this path, we have some properties now that can generate anywhere from four to 5,000 a month, single family property, and that's cash flow. So I wasn't really seeing that multifamily or single family traditional rentals at the time. So that's why I decided to just transition into that. Incredible. So your four unit in, was it Carolina? Yeah, Raleigh. Is that set up as a nightly, weekly rental or is it longer term? So we're actually in the middle of doing a split test. Right now, there's two units that are traditional rental. And it could just show the power of this right now. And I don't say this is going to be around forever. But usually the way I think about it is it's kind of worth tapping into. And I think you'll understand why in a sec. The two units on the right, unfurnished traditional rentals, rent for about 1100 a month. They're two one and a halfs. And the two units on the left, either nightly or monthly, can gross anywhere from three to 4000 per unit a month, which is insane. And obviously, there's different costs, cleaning and furnishing that you have to amortize over. But that's the way that we set that one up. And one of the two units that does furnish rentals is nightly, and the other has been more on like a month-to-month track. You mentioned Joe's book. Is your ultimate goal to be a syndicator? Actually, no. When I learned the details of it and speaking to a lot of people on my podcast and getting very close, I'd say now like two of my best friends are, it's just not the business that gets me as fired up or not right now what my goals are. Maybe one day, but I was, but I changed my kind of thought on that. I I don't see that in my path anymore. Why is that? Because it seems like everybody wants to 
become a syndicator. It just seems like an attractive business model. I thought so too. And not to say it isn't, but what I found and also doing a podcast and talking to a lot of syndicators and again, having some really close friends that are, I think a lot of people get attracted to it by the door count. A lot of people get on podcasts and I see this too. And the second someone tells me their door count, I ask them, well, how much do you actually make every month? Because I think there's a little bit of an illusion here. A lot of beginners, I think, hear someone say they have 7,000 doors, but they don't really know what that means. So it's a sexy thing that I think a single family investor gets really excited about and then learns about it. And it's not a small thing. It's a real business. You need to actually have infrastructure and have funding and be able to build a system to find deals. So I think it sounds sexy and it definitely can be an awesome strategy to build wealth. It's not a short-term thing. It's something that I think you can obviously make a lot of money over a long period of time. But in now having some more conversations and hearing some things kind of off the cuff, I think I've maybe learned a little bit more of how the sausage is made to just have a little bit of a less tinted view of it and nothing against it. But I think just for me, when I thought about my goals and what I could do from a cash flow perspective, that was what it was about for me. It wasn't about anything vanity. It wasn't about telling people how many doors I had. For me, it's just about money. I just have needs and I want to be able to cover them and also have a little bit of a lifestyle business where I can travel and do from a laptop and do some of the other stuff and projects. So that's the main reason why I still think it's a great business, but I think a lot of people, they get excited at the concept of that and they see Grant Cardone flying in a private jet and that looks pretty cool. But I think there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that the best marketers are good marketers. And then if you get behind the curtain, it's not always what it is. It's not always rainbows and unicorns, huh? <laughs> not always. Maybe, yeah. you know, for some people. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes. But first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. As your portfolio grows, you need financial management services you can rely on to help you save money and continue making the right choices for your company's future. Realestateaccounting.co's top-tier CFO team uses their deep industry and operating experience to guide real estate syndicators, investors, and family offices through every pivotal moment and crucial decision. Their fractional CFO services include budget-to-actual, cash flow and distributions, and reporting and valuation. Go to realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO to find out why REA is one of the fastest growing real estate accounting companies around. The real estate experts provide timely analysis and consultations to help you make the most informed decisions possible. See and trust where your portfolio is headed with the customized financial reports based on the KPIs that matter to you and your business. Try it risk-free today at realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO. If you're not sure where to start investing or need help taking the next step, mentorship and coaching is one of the best ways to get going. Think Multifamily is a leading apartment acquisition and education company who provides true one-on-one -on -one coaching to help you invest for your family's future. Their servant leadership approach will guide you to successfully scale your real estate business or assist you to diversify your investments in multifamily. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how they help working professionals just like you transform their future through partnering and community. In fact, the majority of real estate investors who partner with Think Multifamily get involved in a general partnership within six months. Thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching highlights the partnerships, joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. You moved to Kentucky. Why? Was that just for real estate, searching properties? Mm -hmm. 
it was really just, I thought there was an opportunity and it was just to meet people and try to learn the business. It was right at the beginning of COVID. I just broke my lease in New York. I sold pretty much all my furniture. It was kind of nomading. And at the time, then everything furnished, Airbnb, it was so cheap out there too. But I met a couple of friends at a conference. It was actually a Bigger Pockets conference. And then I was just doing some of the stuff. This was right around the time I read that book and made some friends in Kentucky. I was kind of breaking up the country into what markets I would be considering. And that was one that I looked at like a cash flow market where coming from New York, you could still cash flow. The returns were still decent. And I just felt like there was only so much that I could do from behind a screen. And someone that I remember I talked to a couple of times then, you probably know him or he's been on the podcast, Logan Freeman. He had a saying or something that stuck with me, which is if you can fly, you can buy. People take you a lot more seriously when you're in person instead of just calling here or there and saying, yeah, put me on your list or send me your deals. But I remember when I got there, people took me seriously. You just drove here from New York or now you're here for three months and looking at deals. I was knocking on doors. I was meeting brokers. There were still some in-person meetups and it was a way to learn the neighborhoods, learn the people and just get a feel for things that probably maybe could have done behind a screen, but I felt like it was just a way to speed that up. And also if I could have done it, why not? I was single, still I'm single, but didn't have to be anywhere. And that was just something that I thought could kind of move things a lot faster. And I learned that market really well from just driving around all day and meeting people. And that was a cool thing to do. I recommend that, especially now with things being virtual, if you're really serious about doing it, it really kind of kickstarted so many relationships in a market that I felt like no one was really taking me seriously from, from out of state. And it's just one or two people can kind of connect you to everyone in the market. And that's kind of what happened. So I spent two months in Kentucky and then I split a month between Indiana and Ohio. And still have a lot of friends now that met then and we talk every day. It's just kind of weird how that happened. And have you bought properties in those markets? That's where we're doing the wholesaling now. While I was okay. there, we stood that up. I did have two buildings under contract. And again, this was right at the beginning of COVID when all the debt was kind of drying up and changing week to week. So those two transactions fell through. But right now we have a couple of projects going for wholesaling and flipping stuff out there. And that's been kind of a good play in an area there, but no multifamily out there. Are you wholesaling just single family houses? Anything I'd say one to four right now has been what we've done. Sometimes we've had some random stuff pop up. Like right now, we're negotiating on a six unit portfolio of single family homes. So stuff like that comes through. I think the goal would be to see if there's a way to transition it either into acquiring multifamily buildings or wholesaling multifamily buildings. I have a couple of friends that do that and they do very well with it. I don't know that many people that do it. So that would be cool. But right now it's mainly single families. Any thoughts on wholesaling, non-residential, commercial, retail, Um, medical, land? I think that would be an interesting concept. I don't know anyone that's doing that. I've never heard of anyone doing that. So that could be very cool, actually. Do you ask for a reason? Like, do you know anyone doing that? Yeah. For years, I've tried to convince residential investors to go into commercial. And when I say commercial, my definition is non-residential commercial, anything without showers or residential tenants, right? And the true definition is five units and above for multifamily is considered commercial. Mm Mm-hmm. But I've always been a commercial investor and I've mentored a ton of people and I've tried to convince people to at least take on some commercial, if not totally transition. For me, it's just a much better asset class, easier to manage, easier to control NOI. And I've convinced a few wholesalers to go into that and they're seeing the advantages of that. 
So it's fascinating. I, I recommend anybody that's investing in real estate to not disqualify commercial properties. And often the mentality is, well, I don't know anything about commercial. I didn't either when I started, or it's too hard or it's too expensive. You can find mixed use buildings for under $200,000 all day long. And it's crazy is that I've had residential investors turn down mixed use buildings. And when I say mixed use, this example was about 3000 square feet of retail and four apartments above it. And the retail scared them so much that they chose to walk away from the deal and the apartments scared me. So I kind of walked away from the deal. But the funny thing is I asked this individual what he would value four apartments for in that area. If the commercial unit wasn't there and his response was 260, 270, the building was for sale for 150. Now, granted it needs rehab, right? But I thought, oh my God, I would value the commercial at about 150 all day mm-hmm. long. So it's just that bridging the gap, right? Between the residential and commercial, we kind of have blinders on, on whatever asset class we typically chase. I totally agree with that. It's so funny. This is a small example, but I got to give him a shout out. Actually, I'm working at a friend's office here. He's been on the podcast too, John Cohen. He's been a multifamily investor typically, and he started with land, but now he's experimenting with land, just having some fun with land as multifamilies for a lot of reasons, gotten a little tighter or become more competitive. So I think that is such an important thing to be able to pivot and also experiment with different markets. Now, that's a tough thing also to balance with shiny object syndrome. There's a gray area there, but it's probably more in the bucket of who moved my cheese to adapt to where you can make money and where it's less competitive. And that's cool to hear that that's something that's definitely less competitive, but it's also cool to hear him where he's having a lot of success with it. And a lot of people I think are banging their heads against multifamily saying they can't get a deal or they're stuck for the last year. It's cool to think through different strategies that can get you fired up and make you money and keep you moving. Yeah. So to end the story on that mixed use building, I did purchase it for 150 and the appraiser was beside himself because he had a real problem appraising this. His valuation came in 550,000 and he couldn't justify the low purchase price and in turn couldn't justify the high appraisal. So he was just spinning his head and good problem to have. So back to what you were saying, if you find an expert, it's really not shiny object syndrome. We just acquired or not acquired. We have a contract on a piece of land and we don't know much about land. So Mm. we got some civil engineers who are friends of ours that are experts in industrial land. So we kind of brought them into the deal and they're holding our hands through this. So if you find a commercial deal, a medical building, a triple net retail deal, just find an expert in that arena to partner with. And there's no reason you can't wholesale deals like that, right? It's just, um, it's just thinking outside of the box a little bit. Yeah. That's hilarious to think that's how it actually went down in the end that someone just getting into the appraisal and actually knowing what the value could be or should be. But it's funny to think through what we tell ourselves too, about allowing ourselves to accept something or just rule it out before understanding it. Yeah. And there's a lot less competition in commercial than there is in residential. And again, in the commercial space, the properties that are between 100 and maybe six or 700,000 often have mom and pop businesses and not national tenants. 
So a lot of out-of-state buyers are not attracted to those, and they're a little bit harder to finance with lenders. So I always use a local lender to finance those deals. A lot of big banks don't like any vacancy. They hate mixed-use buildings, and they hate older properties that have anything wrong with them or any vacancy. They want stabilized properties that have been cash flowing for three plus years. Mm -hmm. So find those niches where there's not a lot of competition. Yeah, that was the first thing I thought when you said it. Is anyone wholesaling commercial stuff? I don't know anyone that's doing that. And I think about it like, okay, if someone's listening to this and wondering how to get started, we're talking about this is less competitive. So if you feel like you're stuck doing regular wholesaling or whatever, there's almost always a way. It's just a matter of experimenting and trying it. Yeah. And the other thought is there's wholesalers out there that are so good, so big and have so many systems in place that the barrier to entry is more difficult because you're competing against these guys that are just incredible. They're machines at turning deals, right? Yeah. That's something that, again, I don't want to discourage anyone, but something that I see a lot with beginners or even people that are investing on the side while they have a W-2 thinking that some way they can outsmart the person that wakes up every day and does this. And again, I don't want to discourage anyone to say you don't have some set of skills that can't be a differentiator for you. But I naively thought that too. It was ego and stupidity. And I think a lot of beginners that I talk to also think that it's easier than it is or think that in some way they can outsmart someone working three hours a day when the other person's doing 18 and they live in that territory. Again, not to discourage anyone, but it's something to seriously consider when you're thinking about building your team or picking a strategy or finding a mentor or just figuring out what strategy can kind of align with all those things and not get the wrong expectation. And how do you overcome that? I think the hack is getting around the right people. Bringing value, it's trite. A lot of people say it, but again, it's why I reached out to Joe in the way that I did. And my view with any networking is try to add value before I ask for value. And that is, I think, the key that opens so many doors. And everyone has a lot of the same problems. A lot of visionary types, they hate admin work. They hate social media. They're not good at marketing. So if you can find ways to bring value to those people, like for me, with the wholesale stuff, we're doing a 90-day wholesale challenge because we want to improve our process, but also teach our group. So there's a wholesaler that I know. He does a lot of training, a lot of coaching, and I know he's trying to get more people into his programs. So reached out to him, tried to make it a value add because he has the systems already. And if I can get people to understand his systems now and then kind of be familiar with him, he gets benefit out of it. So reach out to a couple of people like that. I know I could learn it on my own. It might take a year, but with the right coaching and kind of over the shoulder system views, it might take three months or six months. I could cut the time in half. So for me, Reading is great. Podcasting is great. YouTubing is great. But I love to ask people situational questions, see how they do it on their screen and actually understand what they're doing every day. So for me, that's how I overcome it. And that's what I'll probably keep doing if I have new ventures that pop up. Two incredible pieces of advice. Be around the right people and add value before you ask. Incredible. It's amazing how many people have gotten calls or emails. Hey, I've been meaning to get with you. Really? Yeah, yeah. For what? No, I want to learn what you do. Ah, okay. I just haven't had time to get with you. Do not approach people like that. Yeah, that's probably the worst thing you could ever do. And again, for someone also listening right now, I like to make it as tactical as possible. I don't like to just say add value. Even if you have the chance to talk to someone or you could shoot them a DM, which let me just tell you, everyone's accessible these days. Get on someone's live and ask them, what is your biggest challenge right now? They're going to tell you. 
and then start coming up with a plan to fix that challenge. It could be, we're doing great with investors, but we're doing really shitty at asset management, or we're really struggling with marketing. We have no social media presence. We have no campaign. Okay. Now you know your way in that the next time you can reach out to that person and say, Hey, I went on Canva. I just took some of your headshots from social media and I designed 10 images you could post on Instagram. I'm looking to learn about this business. I would love to add some value to you before I even ask for anything, but just to get around you, could I help you maybe just put some of this stuff out there? Watch what happens. You send it to 10 people, I bet you, you get at least 50% response rate. Probably more because that's such a knee-jerk, head-turn type reaction. I sent it out to other multifamily investors when I was trying to get around the right people, 100% response rate because you take the time and do one extra step instead of asking the worst, will you be my mentor or can I pick your brain and then get on the phone and just say, how'd you get started? It's just got to be an upward kind of value add, but that right there, do that and you can get around almost anyone you want. Watch. Yeah, that's a roadmap. You just gave them. You gave our audience exactly how to do it. So I want to touch back onto your Airbnbs and your short-term rentals. How do you find the ideal locations? Because every destination town can't be ideal. Yeah. Combination for me, it hasn't always matched, but in a lot of markets now, the level of competition will also match the potential revenue. So you see a lot of people say Gatlinburg or the Smoky Mountains. That's a really hot spot right now. And the revenue numbers there are ridiculous. But now the amount of listings that come on the market and the price of those listings is starting to be basically analyzed based on Airbnb revenue. So it's getting a little insane. My high level criteria before I dig into the numbers are I just look at places that are in a time zone that I like. I like to do business in places that operationally makes sense and it's easy. The second thing, you need to understand the restrictions. If they have something against nightly or if there are certain areas within a town that don't allow it. And then third, I like to think about it as places where I like to go. And then based on that, if it checks those boxes, I'll do a deeper level of research. I'll start looking at other listings in that area. I'll go on AirDNA. I'll start looking on Google Travel to see how many reviews the different destinations or points of interest in that market have, and then what the housing arrangements look like. And then from there, honestly, what I'll do a lot of times, I'll just reach out to hosts and you can be directly upfront. It's funny, a lot of hosts in this business, they're very willing to help They're more mom and pop. So it's not as combative or competitive, or you can reach out also, I would say a totally fair way to do it. And you might have a better foot in the door. You could reach out and say, hey, I'm considering this market. Would you ever consider co-hosting? I'm just looking to understand what things are going on here. And co-hosting is just another word for managing. And a lot of small hosts or property owners, they'll take on another property or two. And in the process of building that relationship, they'll tell you, buy here, don't buy here. We wish we could have done this. And it's a really good way to start building a foundation of research. And then another thing I always like to do, I like to go and stay. I'll go to the properties or I'll go to the town for some time, feel it out, talk to people. This probably applies in multifamily or single family as well for traditional, but just get a feel for it. The locals can give you everything that might've taken a month and maybe two days in being on foot and kind of understanding if something smells weird or if there's a view that people come for that you couldn't see on Google Maps, stuff like that, that you can start to kind of put a framework together. And then from there, running the numbers, AirDNA is a great tool. It pulls information from active listings on Airbnb, VRBO, HomeAway. That can be a high level start to the numbers to get an idea of average daily rate, 
occupancy. And then from there, same kind of thing. I like to look at comps, which is just looking at other listings, seeing where they are, looking at their calendars, just getting an idea of how booked up they are. And then also inquiring sometimes. If you see someone that has their calendar fully blocked off, asking, are you blocking this off for personal use or is this being booked? You can ask it innocently, but you can also find out what is this? Some people just block off their calendar. Some people get really long bookings. That's good to know going in to kind of get an idea of what your property can do. And then ultimately, I'll just say this is not investing advice, but we always go conservative. I think that's kind of across the board for people that have done a deal or two, be conservative. And then in a lot of these cases right now, we have seen ways to increase revenue by adding better pictures or making the place more of an experience, bringing a decorator, which is a cost, but we've seen that pay really nice returns as opposed to a lot of the, I would say, non-professional, non-sophisticated operators that we were using as a baseline. And then we can come in and overachieve on those numbers. So it's an investment and there's a cost. I'm not decorative. Now I have a better idea of color matching and schemes and all that, but not really. But I like to put people in place that are good at what they do. And that's helped us beat our expectations for underwriting. Incredible. You just gave the best ever listeners a great roadmap of how to identify Airbnb properties for short-term rentals. Thank you for that. Jonathan, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Do not take advice from someone you wouldn't trade places with or you don't admire in the space. This was my biggest mistake growing up and also when I was in corporate America. I was taking advice from people that I didn't admire or they were 20 years down the road for me. I realized they were doing something totally different than what I wanted to be doing. So not really specific to real estate, general business advice, but that advice from one of my early mentors just completely changed my life. I love that. Great advice. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Do you manage your own rental properties? If you do, or if you're about to, I want to tell you about Rent Ready because I'm guessing they have some services that you wish you had. Rent Ready is a property management software that allows you to manage your business from your computer or phone. With Rent Ready, you're able to collect rent online and get paid, find the perfect tenant with a built in screening and listing service and get your leases signed with the click of a button. And tenants really love using RentReady's app too. They can pay rent using the card, ACH, cash. They can set up auto pay, get renter's insurance if you require it. And they can even build their credit score through RentReady's new credit reporting feature. And the best part, RentReady is unlimited. That's right, all this is flat priced. There's no tricks or hidden fees. RentReady is designed for investors who manage their own properties so that you don't have to worry about paying more for building your business. You can start managing and scaling your rental properties without scaling costs. And RentReady has given us an amazing deal to pass on to the best ever listeners. You can get RentReady's annual plan for only 54 bucks at rentready.com when you use our special code BESTEVER. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com with the code B-E-S-T-E-V-E-R at rentready.com to get Rent Ready's annual plan for only 54 bucks. Did you know that credit checks miss 85% of the information landlords and property managers need to verify new tenants? That's a problem. The solution is Rentify. Rentify provides a platform that allows you to instantly access prospective tenants' financial information and compiles it all into a quick and easy to read report to help you select the highest quality tenants. You can access income, payroll, past rent payments, 
non-sufficient funds, and overdraft history all in one place. Rentify's reports instantly verify the full financial picture of the tenant, so there's no chance of being duped with false information. No one likes to be duped. And the best part is that you can have it all at your fingertips in as little as five minutes. Go check out Rentify at TrustRentify.com and stop wasting time and start fast-tracking the tenant screening process with confidence and ease. With Rentify, you'll no longer have to waste hours or even days collecting all the information you need to verify a tenant, which makes life easier for you and your applicants. Visit TrustRentify.com and use the promo code FAIRLESS for 25% off your first purchase. That's T-R-U-S-T-R-E-N-T-I-F-Y dot com and put in the promo code FAIRLESS. That's my last name, F-A-I-R-L-E-S-S, for 25% off your first purchase. Jonathan, are you ready for the lightning round? Let's do it. Let's do it. Jonathan, what's the best ever book you recently read? I'll go Joe's book. I got to say, it's my favorite real estate book, best ever apartment syndication guide for real estate. And I would say for business, Rocket Fuel really helped me just understanding I can't do everything by myself and start delegating stuff. But Joe's book really rocked me from a real estate standpoint, just systems. That's great. And Rocket Fuel helped me as well. I thought that I was just unorganized and disheveled all the time. And really, it helped me learn that I'm a visionary like you, but I'm not a taskmaster and I need to partner with a taskmaster. Yeah, have you read Who Not How? I'm reading that right now, actually. Right. So that's yeah. the next progression that helped me a lot. Jonathan, what's the best ever way you like to give back? I keep my calendar open every Friday and we'll just do as many question calls, pick your brain, coffee calls as I can. Those helped me a lot when I was getting started. I reached out to the first 120 guests at Bigger Pockets, and it helped me so much when I didn't have real estate friends or mentors. So that's one way that it's fun. I like to give back and help people get started and just help people take the red pill, just break out and escape. So that's been really fun. Just keep my calendar open on Fridays and get my Calendly link out to my group or on social media and seeing if I could help more people. Jonathan, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? My email is just J-O-N-J-F-A-R-B-E-R at Outlook.com. That's my personal email. On all social medias, it's just J-O-N-J-F-A-R-B, John J. Farb. Doing a lot more on YouTube and TikTok. It's been a fun little journey there, but those are the good ways we do a podcast too. Again, inspired from Joe to do a daily podcast. Now we've kind of added some different features and now I have a co-host that helps me with stuff, but went for a year and that's Millennial Millionaires Through Real Estate. And if you look that up on Facebook too, we have a group of about 4,000 people that are looking to get after it and add income streams and escape their corporate jobs. So we love doing that. So those are the main ways, but if you reach out, happy to help. And I got so much help from other people that always try to make time. So reach out to me directly on any social media or my email and we'll get it set up. Jonathan, thank you for being on the show. You started the conversation out talking about you were a kid with no ambition. You wanted to go down the golf road and now you've assembled something great in real estate. So thank you for sharing all of your advice. Best ever listeners. Thank you for joining us. Have a best ever day. Thanks, Ash.